Hello and welcome to our new episode of Voices from the Neighborhood. I'm Hendrik and with me today are Julia and Lucian. In our podcast series, we want to introduce various actors, activists and organizations that work on progressive issues in our eastern neighborhood. For us, that includes our more immediate neighbors in Central, Eastern and Southeastern Europe, but also Central Asia, a region often overlooked in European political discourse. Our first two episodes revolved around environmental activism in Russia and Kyrgyzstan. And in the very first episode, we spoke with an environmental organization in Russia that is dedicated to waste separation. Today, Russia is our focus again, but we want to take a bit of a different turn. And this time we want to find out where such initiatives meet and organize their activities and events. To us, this question felt especially relevant as we started thinking about groups and activists that are concerned with more sensitive topics in Russia's political context, such as election observers or the LGBTQI community. That is why today we look at two spaces where civil society initiatives meet and organize. First, Yulia will give us an overview of the current situation in Russia, building on what she has told us in our first episode. And after that, we will listen into the interviews with the two speakers from different organizations that offer space for civil society. Yulia, it has been a while since we last spoke about Russia's political context and the situation of civil society there. And you're dealing with that in your research. Would you give us an update concerning the recent developments? Sure. Well, um, so last time we talked about the environment in which civil society operates in Russia, that was already quite difficult. But I think we can say with certainty that the situation got even worse for certain parts of civil society since then. As probably everywhere, the COVID pandemic and the subsequent restrictions imposed during the quarantine period had a dramatic impact on society as a whole, including civil society. In addition, in 2020 and 2021, the Russian parliament, the State Duma, passed a number of legislative initiatives aimed at tightening control over the media, the internet and the nonprofit sector. And then there was also that crackdown on the protests in Russia in early 2021, when tens of thousands took to the streets to demand the release of Alexei Navalny. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And at the same time, um, and, and this is really important, we need to remember that Russia's civil society is very diverse and innovative. So um, Russia's authorities have also shown an increasing willingness, on the other hand, to recognize and financially support activities of, of loyal um, civil society initiatives or organizations, especially in the social um, welfare sphere. NGOs and civic groups, groups in general have, have proven to be quite adaptive to changing circumstances by reorganizing their programs, changing their legal form or ways of operating in general. And they have also demonstrated an enormous capacity for mutual assistance, solidarity and um, enthusiasm. So, for instance, one feature of the pandemic um, response has been regional cooperation, where civil society organizations in different towns and cities came together to help those in need. It's fitting that you bring that up. I mean, cooperation and solidarity are pretty much the overarching topic of today's episode, right? Lucian, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about that and why this is the main topic today? Sure. Well, 
the, the topic of today's episode are spaces where parts of civil society can meet and talk and organize some form of open spaces. And as you mentioned in the beginning, this has really become a lot more important over the last year, year and a half, two years, because many bars, libraries or any other public places where people usually can easily meet, they have become quite reluctant to allow any form of organization that seems to be political in their spaces because they're also afraid to be, or maybe not afraid, but they don't really want to be associated with them. And that has really increased the need and the demand by activists and a lot of individuals for open places to together to discuss things or any societal or local issues that are of importance to them. And among the most prominent examples of this is the so-called Open Space Initiative in St. Petersburg. But now such spaces also exist in many other parts of Russia, in Moscow and also in several Russian regions. And the Open Space Initiative in Petersburg really has also functioned as a form of role model where other activists have been inspired by the idea or been in an exchange, in a solidarity of exchanging experience among these initiatives. All right. And who did you talk to? We spoke with Ilya Ershov from the Open Space Initiative in St. Petersburg, and then later with Pavel, who is the founder of the Revolt Center in Siktivgar in the Komi Republic, which is close to the Urals and quite a bit away from Moscow and St. Petersburg. So uh, we are speaking today uh, with Ilya Ershov from Open Space Initiative in St. Petersburg. Hi, Ilya. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. So you are one of the organizers of Open Space Initiative in St. Petersburg and in Moscow. Can you tell us a little bit about what Open Space actually is? Um, yeah, now Open Space is a physical uh, safe spaces for activists in St. Petersburg and Moscow, where everyone can organize uh, any event she or he wants for free, and also share their ideas with others, and uh, probably find uh, more collaborations. Also, we provide free uh, psychological support, counseling for activists, and share our experience with guys who wants to open their own community centers in their regions in Russia. Uh, and also we do other things like helping people how to get out of problems activists face in their activities, like where to find lawyer, how to organize public campaign, etc., etc. Okay, that sounds like you have very broad activities. How, how was Open Spaces founded and, and when? For how long have you been existing? Uh, well, Open Space uh, emerged in St. Petersburg uh, in uh, 2012. It was an extremely important period for Russian civil society. Probably, you know, uh, before presidential elections, many people who never been involved in activism before decided to become independent electoral observers just to try to provide fair voting and counting of votes. Elections were rigged, of course. Uh, as we used to, to be in Russia. But nevertheless, people decided to stay active members of the society. And a lot of civic initiatives in different areas, in different spheres, appear at that time. I mean, environmental initiatives, human rights, and 
uh, most of these initiatives needed in free, safe space for regular meetings. So I can say that the idea of the open space uh, had been in the air uh, at that time. And in August 2012, former independent lecture observers founded Open Space in St. Petersburg as a common house, community house for literally all civic initiatives, activists and NGOs in St. Petersburg. And in my 2021, this year, we found Open Space in Moscow. Great. So that means that you expanded. But maybe before talking about Moscow and the expansion of, of this space, how does your space specifically differ from other public spaces in St. Petersburg, for instance? Because I remember that there are also a lot of other spaces that you could call public, but are maybe, I don't know, commercially What is different about open space in comparison to other public spaces? Okay, let me show you uh, our context. Uh, there are actually no so many community independent, I mean, spaces in St. Petersburg. I can still call two or three independent spaces. Of course, we are friends with them. We inspire each other. But they are more focused on their own agenda, like LGBTQ, for instance, and feminist topics. Open space is open for any agenda. It's our key difference between us. And also, there are public centers in St. Petersburg opened by city authorities, co-working spaces and not only co-working ones, civic centers, for instance. But, of course, they can raise only questions authorized by city administration and uh, issues which is already, which is really needed to be discussed, such as human rights violations, arrests uh, of civic activists, corruption, inability of city authorities to make life conditions in the city better, etc., etc., a lot of questions. All these questions are out of the agenda because these places are governed by uh, city authorities and there are a lot of pressure from them. There are a lot of uh, censorship and self-censorship between uh, teams of these spaces. Uh, so, so from my side... If I get it correctly, then your space started mainly from uh, a movement of election observers. Is that still the case? Is that mostly the, the people who form initiatives that come to your space now? Or has that completely changed over the last 10 years? Yeah, yeah we, tried to, we tried to count. Uh, actually, we uh, try to uh, count every year, at the end of every year, how many people came to uh, our open space uh, in St. Petersburg and now to the open space in Moscow. And I can say that about maybe 1,000 people annually come to uh, open space to organize their own events or to attend events organized by us or other initiatives. And how does it work? Can you tell us a little bit more about how an initiative approaches you? Mm -hmm. uh, anyone as an individual or informal civic initiatives or non-private organization can organize events in open space in St. Petersburg and in Moscow for free. So we have just two types of uh, initiatives who are not welcomed uh, to have events in uh, open spaces. These are political parties and movements uh, and religious groups. As I said before, uh, we were born as a part of uh, independent intellectual observers movement. So this rule we got from those times when we were part of this uh, independent intellectual observers movement. Uh, I can say that in uh, 2021, we had almost 1,000 events in both open spaces, St. Petersburg and Moscow. 
I mean, public discussions on uh, human rights topics, film screenings, for instance, exhibitions, even school for journalists, etc., etc. And these events were organized by us and uh, about 100 civic initiatives uh, who we are friends with. So uh, I asked my colleagues uh, working in open spaces uh, in St. Petersburg and Moscow to uh, call the most memorable events from their point of view. And they mentioned uh, such kind of events as uh, collecting clothes for uh, homeless women in St. Petersburg and discussions about bullying, violence during childbirth, harassment. And uh, because we have been working for almost 10 years, next year we will uh, celebrate, I hope, our uh, 10 years of working. So people know us, uh, know our values, uh, and understand what to expect from us, I would say. And because people know us, it was easier for us to establish open space in Moscow because they, they see our values, they see what we can do with them and for them. Uh -huh. Interesting. And you mentioned that you are not per se a business, but then how is it financed? I mean, you have expenses, right? Yeah, uh, of, of course, we have to pay, to, to pay bills. And if this were a video podcast, I would show my favorite pyramid I made to uh, show our financial days. Open space is a community space. Uh, so we decided to rely mainly on people's support. In the basement of this uh, pyramid is, uh, of course, crowdfunding. For six years, every half a year, we have been organized crowdfunding uh, campaigns to collect money for rents of open space in St. Petersburg. But since uh, this year, since we opened location in Moscow and launched the Psychological Center for Civic Activists, we need more money to cover all our expenditures. So we started a new campaign and asked our community members to become our regular donors, our regular sponsors. I myself donate to Open Space Monthly, by the way. Uh, and you can join uh, too uh, via our website or Open Space page on Patreon, by the way. Okay, thank you. So earlier you mentioned that Open Space also supports activists that are in need of psychological counseling. So um, I was wondering who can get such a support and why did you decide to help people to receive such a form of support, right? Because it seems like it's an additional activity to just providing a space, a safe space to, to activists, but also providing um, psychological counseling support. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mentioned before that open space is about community. They're based on community values and psychological counseling uh, became a very important part of our work because it's very required by community members in uh, a lot of Russian cities. All these years, we uh, have strong connections with the civic activists in Russian regions, and not only in St. Petersburg and Moscow, but in a lot of Russian cities. Uh, we shared uh, our, experience with the, our experience with them. We tried and we are trying to uh, help them and work with them all together. And a year ago, in the middle of pandemic, uh, we asked regional activists what they needed at most that time. And it turned out they said that psychological support. So uh, to answer their require, we launched regular psychological counseling for, for them. Any activist can fill short questionnaire uh, on our website. And according to these answers, our coordinators, coordinators of our uh, psychological uh, center, 
connect an activist with the most relevant psychologist. Totally, an activist can get uh, 14 sessions with an ex- expert for, for free, free of charge. And uh, so far, we work with uh, about 10 psychologists. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, well, that, of course, being an, an activist can, can come along with a lot of hurdles or, or issues in, in a psychological sense. Maybe then moving on to, to the problems or hurdles that you face um, in, in running open spaces, right? And running um, open spaces initiatives. So um, I could imagine that maybe you might feel some pressure from state authorities because you provide space for activists that might not engage in, in regime favorable activities, so to say. So can you tell us something about this? Yes, of course, we run open spaces uh, in Russia, so of course we uh, feel pressure from city and state authorities. Uh, by the way, uh, we are recording this uh, podcast in the day when a uh, Russian court decided to close International Memorial, uh, one of the oldest human uh, rights organizations in Russia. I came to Memorial in my 15s. A memorial in St. Petersburg gave me a lot. So, of course, we feel visible pressure from uh, state authorities. Everyone feels, actually. You know, for a lot of years, Russian authorities have been adopted legislation to worsen civil society work. Probably you have heard about so-called foreign agents law. Definitions and procedure in this law are so unclear that literally every individual in Russia, believe me, every individual in Russia, could be called foreign agent. For example, there is no steps on what you have to do to be excluded from this list of foreign agents. The same situation uh, we have with other laws like justification of Nazist Germany, a list of so-called extremist terrorists, etc., etc. A lot of law, a lot of legislation uh, have been adopted uh, in recent years in Russia. You know, we used to say that, first of all, we provide open space for vulnerable groups But in Russia, in the end of 2021, it turns out all civic groups and individuals are vulnerable now. And of course, police is interested in what we do in open spaces, in St. Petersburg and in Moscow, of course. Sometimes they come to see us, ask what we do. And of course, we could lost our offices any time, they can say. I'm, I'm sure, unfortunately, in this. Sometimes it could happen with us. But open space is not only offices, it's people, it's community, as I told you. So we will keep working until it's possible, uh, because for these years, open space has become a focal point for civic activists in different regions. And it's the least we can do to support our colleagues. Maybe I can jump in, but since you offer psychological help and maybe from your own experience, What does this do to people psychologically if you always face this unknown threat, this, this, this form of pressure that tomorrow they could close your office? What is your experience if you have contact with a lot of different activists? Is it getting worse or is it different problems? In fact, not yet, not yet. Uh, I think that the main uh, psychological problems we try to work uh, with activists is uh, emotional burnout. You are aware of our context, political and not only political. So uh, emotional burnout, different kind of stress, depressions are the main issues our experts, our psychologists try to work with. And how do people react? Do they then just leave the field of activism and say this is not worth it? 
Some of them leave, of course, some not. Uh, we got a lot of uh, feedback from our so-called clients, activists who applied for psychological help in the open space. They thank us. And uh, some of them tell us that uh, due to our help, they found resources to keep going, to keep working. Okay. And well, obviously, I don't know, the, let's call it demand for such spaces rising. If you just open another space in Moscow that's new and, uh, as far as you told, also very popular and a lot of events happening there. It's, is that kind of joint? Does it, uh, is there a context between that? Yeah, I can confirm that we are very required what we do because we opened open space in Moscow less than a half a year, half a year actually. Uh, so now we are overbooked and we have uh, almost uh, three or four uh, events per day, every day in uh, Moscow and St. Petersburg uh, open spaces. So uh, six events per day in those places. And people tell us they, they needed this place because, you know, they, uh, they feel comfortable because uh, we are we, we don't provide barriers we are zero barrier place you know where everyone can feel him or herself free in the middle of russia and so well st petersburg and moscow are well definitely the, the kind of most political cities in russia let's call them that but as far as i know there are also a lot of initiatives to open spaces with a similar concepts in other cities is that correct yes it's correct and uh, i told you that we are in contact with the civic activists in russian cities for a long time and uh, some of them they looked at us and decided to uh, launch such kind of place for their own community in their own regions so uh, so far i can say that we work uh, with activists in uh, pskov uh, siktivkar Uh, Smolensk, Kirkutsk, and other Russian cities in different parts of Russia who decided to to launch, to uh, establish uh, their own open spaces. These places can have any name, open space, uh, creative space, but uh, we are in touch uh, together. We still continue to uh, share our experience. We share news, uh, share information about about events between each other. We invite each other to our common events, etc., etc. So we try to support ourselves. Because all we know that for all these years, uh, such kind of places as open space in St. Petersburg and Moscow and other cities, these places became really focal points, a very important tool for gathering civic activists in uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. And But they are not tied to you in an organizational way so that you mainly provide counseling or, or like your ideas or how, how do you have to understand that oh, you know of course of course there are independent uh, spaces because the worst we can do is to come to the region to Pskov to Sikivkar or, or elsewhere and say oh guys we we are so experienced guy let's we, we, we can uh, help you to open uh, open space uh, in your city uh, we know how to do this We can't do this because we don't know their context. You know, uh, probably it would be a surprise for, for you, but uh, in every Russian city, in every Russian region, there is a different context they uh, face with. So we don't know this context. They, we just can tell them our story on how we open our space in our own region. We, we, we can just uh, share our experience, but we can't open uh, open space instead of them. Uh, without them, uh, it, 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 won't, it won't be working this way because uh, only activists in region, they do know their own context, not us, them, they know.
can can you tell a little bit more about one example that comes to your mind like how what is the context and why does it doesn't it work if you do it Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like uh, to tell about uh, open space in Irkutsk. Uh, I like these guys. Uh, they are an anarchist community. They have very strong anarchist community in uh, Irkutsk. And uh, they decided to open their own place, uh, not only for anarchist community, but uh, for everyone. But of course, they more focused uh, on their uh, anarchist values. And they are very succeed in this. They became bigger this year. They found uh, another office for their open space. And they say that they like us. And they say that they looked at us as an example how to manage this place. But they are more focused on their on the idea of equality uh, and other topics related uh, to anarchists' uh, values. Okay, that sounds fascinating. I hope I get the chance to talk to one of them. That would be very interesting. Uh, then from my side, thank you very much, Ilya, for, for taking the time to talk to us. Yes, thanks a lot. And we also thank you for connecting us with activists from the other spaces in, in, in other Russian regions. And so thank you so much. And um, yeah, we wish you all the best for, for keeping open spaces uh, working and, and growing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and uh, have a good year for all of us. So this was Ilya Ershov from the Open Space Initiative in St. Petersburg. But we also talked to Pavel Andreev, who is from Siktivkar in the Komi Republic and who founded uh, Open Space or Cultural Space there. Siktivkar is in the Komi Republic, which is somewhat further to the east and to the north. So it's about as far east as the Urals and Part of Komi is in the Arctic Territory, and Siktivkar is just slightly below the Arctic Circle. And obviously the challenges and the demands for an open space in a regional city, regional city in the Russian context is everything beyond St. Petersburg and Moscow, those are very different than from in the Western capital cities. Hello, Pavel. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hi, thank you for the interest to what's happening inside the Russia. Uh, yeah, we already had a little bit of conversation that, okay, the situation hasn't been great two years ago, but it's kind of gotten a lot worse. If you need to describe it, where is your spot with your open center in Siktivkar? Uh, so honestly, I think we work for the pretty small part of the society. The pessimist will say that we work only for 1%. I think it's around 20% of the population. It's like the old people who just who want and who are able to go out of the direct way, way from home to work and from work to home and who are interested in what's happening in the city. And uh, But unfortunately, yes, we are limited uh, inside of Russia, not only by the censorship, but also because of the economic situation. And unfortunately, many, many people are kicked off cultural life uh, because they every day they are thinking only about how to get food uh, for them and for their children. So what kind of cultural life is it that you offer? Uh, I looked on your website and there's some some lectures, you have some art exhibitions. Can you tell us a little bit more about what kind of projects you try to provide? 
To understand uh, what, what we do, it's better to understand the city. And, uh, you know, the Siktivkar, it's, it's a quarter of million people, population, uh, which, for, for example, for Germans can look uh, very big numbers. But uh, you need to understand that we are very isolated from the all other parts of Russia. I mean that we are situated on the north, very deep to the forest, and, you know, on hundreds of kilometers around us, uh, there is no other cities, uh, villages. And, for example, to travel from uh, from nearest city to Siktivkar, uh, you need to drive four or five uh, hours. And it, it means then you work in the city, you work only for the locals, and there is there is no communities around, for example, who can travel to for the exhibition or for the lecture in one day. That's why uh, it's the, by Russian understanding, quarter of Milan is pretty small city. The second is that is, uh, it's the, Siktivkar is the capital of the region who was formed in 20th century by the Gulag. It's Komi Republic was a place where millions of people were sent, not by their willings. And that's why we have now back movement when lots of people are leaving the regions, especially from the north, uh, north cities of Komi, who were built for oil mining, for coal mining, for wood industry. And that's why we see that people don't have deep links. So that's why we live in the regions where many people are living and they don't have connections and they don't believe in the perspectives of the region. But the sad uh, and optimist part of uh, understanding Siktovkar is that it's pretty we are around a very beautiful nature, uh, as I said, forests and uh, huge rivers and very low population. And that's why all this nature belongs to, to the people. And plus, uh, it's the capital of the Komi nation. Komi nation is a Finno-Ugric uh, nation. And uh, Komi is the republic. Uh, and it's in Siktivka, for example, quarter of people can name themselves as the, as the Komi people. And me, for example, also. This North Nation gives some, you know, specific to the culture, uh, cultural life inside of the, of the city. So, just as a resume, on what we focus. Revolt Pimino Center was run with the help and with the background of media production. Because my colleague and I, we run also the independent media who are focused on the civil society. And we wanted to build our, you know, off-light and we'll do lots of events for the civil society in different regions. And we wanted to establish this place as part of our offline work. And we believe that it will consist of three main activities. First one, it will be the exhibitions for the local artists, especially young who want to do experiments and uh, who don't have, you know, some abilities or just uh, their classic uh, museums are closed for them. And the second is that we wanted to uh, invite to Siktivkar lots of European uh, exhibitions, contemporary art, and just to be like this, you know, the window from Siktivkar to the Europe uh, and back. We wanted to build this place for the debates. And we wanted to invite different lectures to organize lots of, you know, these discussions inside of the center. Uh, and it should be like the place for the independent opinion exchange. And the third one is that uh, we wanted to be focused on the Komi culture and just to help uh, the Komi to keep uh, and to, you know, rethink maybe the national colorit to the, you know, modern design and to give this, you know, space for the experiments with, you know, with Komi culture.
And so how how does it look like? Can you can you describe it a little bit more? So you have a cafe, as far as I understand it, and then the exhibition space, and then yeah, anyone can come and put up their posters. Or what is the the idea? How does it work? The idea is that yes, everybody can come inside, and you what you get first, you we you are entering to this very small cafe. There are three main uh, you know, three main parts of the center. The biggest hall uh, is. It's pretty. It's really pretty big, and it can be uh, uh, so. It can be transformed for different conferences, for the public debates, for the uh, exhibitions, and you know, every we change the exhibition. I think one time in in two months minimum. And uh, the idea is that every two months we change the color of the of the walls. We extract something, you know, inside, and it can be just so we use different visual tools, you know, to do the interesting exhibition. And then all the events, all the trainings, you know, conferences, and so on, they are they are taking part inside of the you know inside of the exhibitions. And that's why you always have the different background. Even you do the same uh, event, for example, and every quarter of the year. And plus, we, as I mentioned, we have the media seven by seven, and we uh, based our video studio inside of the Reward Center, uh, Reward Pimino Center, and we just use this space also for capturing show, video shows, for some blogging, for do do the online streams, and and so on, so on. Plus, additionally, what we are expecting to should be happen, you know, in February. On the second floor of the same building, we are now opening the small uh, boutique hotel. It's named for Formula Komi, and uh, it will ha- it will continue only from seven rooms. But every room is specially designed with the one word which symbolizes identity of the uh, of Komi Republic or the identity of being Komi. And on the third floor, we have just uh, our office where I sit now, for example. So it's like that we still, you know, do the, in the construction, in the rethinking what we are doing. But the idea is that we will, we finally, we will build the multifunctional center for the conferences, for the media work, for just being like the center for the city where we situated, but also to be the center of uh, regional civil society and to help uh, lots of people to do their own projects with, for example, our consulting or just covering their activities, what they do in their regions with our help uh, as a journalist or just video editing. And who are the people who are coming to the center? Are those students? I think it because, you know, the, it, it very depends on the events what we have. Uh, for I will say that, uh, yes, many Mainly the big one of the biggest part, of course, it's very young people, uh, especially who can come, for example, just on regular basis to the cave to see their, or you know, to hang out with the friends. Uh, but the second, uh, the second biggest uh, group, I would say, is like the people of art in general from the art community. And the third one is the uh, you know representative of civil society, I would say. And they are very different uh, in age, uh, very different in you know, backgrounds, uh, in style of life. What what kind of representative of civil society are those? I mean, for example, for example, journalists uh, or the you know people who run their own NGO or the politicals or independent politicals or just people who are just interesting in, in you know, independent politics situations when, when sometimes they visit 
the center for the lecture or they give their own lecture or they participate in debates. You said that the situation is not quite 1937, but it's gotten bad. So how, how do you feel that? How does it influence your work? Uh, we, in normal life, we will uh, be the, uh, we will be the bridge between the grassroots and, for example, government and the local administration. And we are the, will be the point where different people meet. Unfortunately, Russian uh, government do everything to isolate independent uh, initiatives like we from the uh, government resources and to isolate independent society from the from the officials. That's why, for example, we are in the blacklist for local administration to do the common projects with us. So it's very hard for the officials to come. Somebody do still, but uh, there is some informal uh, advices not to come, not to participate. And uh, we also faced several examples of censorship with, where, for example, state libraries uh, canceled the event uh, after they announced it because they had a problem with the, I don't know who, but somebody from the administration of the special services that they gave advice to them to not to participate. And uh, of course, we are very limited, for example, to apply to different grants or just to, for example, to, to do an offer for the, for example, local administration to to do the event uh, on our spaces and so on and so on. And that's why it gives some problems, for example. It, it, of course, it, it influences and the impacts on our financial sustainability. It uh, impacts uh, of the numbers of the people who, who are coming. Uh, and it also impacts the numbers of the events we host because many are people uh, who would like to organize something on our space. They are just afraid or just they have the ban not to do it. So is that similar to the, the challenges that uh, Ilya faced in Moscow? If you should exchange with people from other cities, do you see the same challenges or is there something special for you? The difference between them and us is the scale of the city. They work in the capital. They're very huge. At first one, it gives them possibilities because lots of people can come to them. But also uh, they have a competition with lots of very interesting places uh, in Moscow or in St. Petersburg. They are cities with very interesting cultural life. They are cities with lots of huge cafes. There are lots of uh, conferences, concerts and shows are going in every day. And of course, for example, to rent a space for their center is much more expensive than, for example, in Siktivkar. In Siktivkar, we have less audience, but we are much more uh, important for the city because we are uh, for people who are just wanting to participate in something interesting. They are very, they elect, uh, they, they have small options. You know, for example, not so good cave is not very rare. Some interesting artists come to the city and that's why when they started to uh, thinking how to spend their times, uh, we just one of the best options for people with the intellect and uh, with the interest to the to the society. You, your space is named Revolt Center. Mm -hmm. um, well, as far as I understand it, that's tied to a person Yes, a Soviet thinker, not directly to any form of revolution, but uh... yes, the, the, this is very tricky when we are talking on English uh, to pronounce our name because there, I think it's kind of, it can confuse. So that's why, for example, we are when we are writing uh, our name in in English, we prefer to name it Revolt Piminov Center because Revolt Piminov, yes, it was the name of the scientist and the dissident 
who was sent uh, to Komi in 70s and who just decided to stay in Sikhtivkar, not to come back to the capital, even after he got, again got right to do it. And when he decided to stay in Sikhtivkar, his flat was the space when different people met each other. He was like the, he was like the modern Facebook for the independent uh, thinkers, you know, in eight, in seventies, in eighties, because he connected people from Moscow and Saint Petersburg to the people who were in camps in Kormit. He would build, he built this, you know, network. His legacy was the his, you know, students, and he he was the one of the, he was one of the founders of the Soviet uh, movement memorial, which is devoted to the history of political repressions, and uh, on his flat. Lots of people who then in the 90s became the leaders of the independent civil society, of the independent journalism, they uh, were, you know, students of the Piminov. And these people, they formed the civil society, uh, the local civil society, you know, in Siktovkar. And I, for example, can name these people like my teachers. So he was the first generation of the, of the independent civil society in Russia, and he formed uh, the community inside of him. And for example, what we do now in 2020s is has direct links to what he did in the 80s. And we don't do a museum of uh, Revolt Piminov. We just inspired by what he did uh, in 80s in very terrible situation. And we believe that still working in small cities is important, doing uh, Free uh, journalism is very important. Sharing knowledge is very important, and keep your identity is is very important. It's and this is what we want to do inside of our center. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about that. Thank you for the interest. I hope it will be good for you, for listeners. And with that, we're back. As usual, I don't feel I need to add much to the insights that Ilya and Pavel shared with us. I think it's become clear how essential their spaces are for a lively and well-connected civil society, especially under the increasing pressure raised by the Russian government at the moment. I think many of us know and have been to places like that, be it in Germany or Russia or other countries. It's these places where you can connect with other activists, exchange ideas, organize and gain agency by teaming up with others. And from my experience, it's also a great entry point for young people to become politicized and to learn about ways of being engaged and active. So if you feel like you want to support either of their spaces that we got to know today, you can find links to their websites in the show notes. And you'll also find some articles with additional information on some of the topics that we talked about. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. And until next time at Voices from the Neighborhood. This Polis 180 podcast solely represents the author's opinion and does not speak for Polis 180 as an organization. Polis 180 is a grassroots think tank that translates scientific insight for political decision makers. We introduce our generation's ideas, analyses, and solutions into the political discourse through innovative and inclusive approaches and develop real alternatives for constructive foreign and European policy.